Thank you all for joining today. In today's podcast, I am interviewing Jessica Fidel, who is a partner at Zimmeray and Fidel Law Firm, which is headquartered in Paris with offices in London and Geneva. She's practiced for eight years at this Paris law firm, FTMS, working with Pierre Oliver Sord, who was then the president of the Paris Bar. Jessica specializes in complex criminal cases in France and abroad. She represents both defendants and victims in the areas of cross-border crime, white-collar crime, general criminal law, international criminal law, extradition, and human rights. Jessica is on the list of the councils at the International Criminal Court and is regularly represented before, sorry, Jessica is on the list of councils at the International Criminal Court and she has regularly represented clients before UN special procedures, such as the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention, UN Special Rapporteurs, UN Special Committees, and the UN Human Rights Council. Jessica has been involved in filing a complaint against the former Prime Minister of Iraq, Mahdi, for crimes against humanity on behalf of five French Iraqi victims before French criminal courts. She's also filed a complaint before the UN Human Rights Council against Japan for serious violations of child rights. She was also involved in a filing with Francois Zemmeray on behalf of Carlos Lasson before the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention, which recognized the multiple violations of Mr. Rosson's defense rights by the Japanese authorities. Jessica is a member of the European Criminal Bar Association and of the Defense Extradition Lawyers Association. So without further ado, let's get into the questions with Jessica Finnell. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to share with you details about Find My Parents' first ever event. On September 24th, we'll be holding an event with families, lawyers, and children who have been reunited after parental abduction. If you'd like to attend the event, please click on the link in the description. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. Um, I know you have an impressive background in international criminal law. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your professional background? Yes, of course. So um, I am a, a partner um, at Zimre and, uh, and Finel Law Firm. Um, we are a French law firm with, with a bit of a special profile because we, we integrate in our uh, practice uh, an important international dimension. Um, we, um, my partner and I uh, decided to, to, to gather, to uh, put both our experiences together and, and form this, this hybrid law firm um, because we, we believe we have um, very complementary uh, backgrounds. Uh, um, he, he was a, a lawyer and then he became a, he was a lawyer and a politician and then he, he became a diplomat. Um, he was uh, an ambassador for human rights um, under Mr. Sarkozy's mandate. And, uh, and then he became a French ambassador in uh, Copenhagen in Denmark. And he was very keen after his service as, a, as an ambassador to go back to, to the practice, to go back to law and, um, and to act in the field of human rights, but also using his skills in, in diplomacy uh, and in conflict resolution. And, and, and I um, wrote my experience in, in criminal law and human rights law and in international criminal law. We were both um, very interested by... by uh, cases that involve different aspects. So, um, you know, international aspects, uh, which involve sometimes policy, um, uh, diplomacy, politics, uh, and human rights. So we, we do offer this, uh, this um, some kind of a unique tailor-made legal services, uh, which combine both our expertise. And, and myself, I've been a lawyer since 2009, um, I've been a, a criminal lawyer uh, in France uh, since that date, and um, I, I, I started as a lawyer after having spent uh, a few months in Cambodia, 
before the ECCC, which was the UN-backed tribunal put in place to judge the, the former Khmer Rouge. Um, and um, this experience really shaped uh, my desire to, to get more involved in international cases. Um, and it, it, was, it was a fascinating experience to be part of this uh, trial that, that was uh, um, dealing with a period of history and putting an end to impunity in, in Cambodia. And um, François and I um, actually have been working together 20 years ago when I was in the middle of my law studies. And at that point, he was a, an MEP at the European Parliament. And he was very keen to, uh, to bring the, 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 U, the European Union, I mean, the parliamentarians closer to the realities of the Middle East, because uh, you, you cannot be aware of, of such a situation if you are not seeing from very close what's on the field, how it works, um, and and um, and so we organized that, that trip, uh, and I was part of the organization process where we brought 150 MEPs to um, uh, to Israel, to the Palestinian territories, um, to Jordan, and we met the leaders uh, of of the region and understood what what was at stake. So that's how I met Francois, and then we we stayed in touch. And when we reunited, we were really keen to to integrate. Um, these uh, th these aspects into our practice. That's that's great. I know you're also involved um, in the issue of of parental abduction in Japan. Can you tell us a bit more about how you learned about the situation in in Japan and what made you want to get involved in you know advocating for these children and families? Of course. So, um, as you may be aware, I'm not, I'm not sure you are, but. Um, our involvement in Japan actually didn't start originally with the abduction case, child children abduction cases. It started with the Carlos Ghosn case. Um, we we had um, we had been um, appointed by by Carlos Ghosn in order to deal with the human rights violations aspect of his case. And at that point, we discovered what the Japanese system the criminal Japanese system was about, which was unheard of and which was completely unknown to the West. And um, it was difficult to imagine that such a big democracy uh, or what we see as such a big democracy as, as Japan could have a, a legal criminal legal system which was so backwards, uh, which looked like... Um, uh, the type of legal system that you would have in, in an autocracy or in a dictatorship somehow where uh, you cannot uh, contest your decision, where uh, your detention, sorry, uh, if you're placed in detention, you, 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 you can be placed until 23 days in police custody without having any rights, without seeing your lawyers, without having any access to your case file, without seeing a judge, um, without being able to really contest your detention. And then uh, the detention would last until you would confess a crime, even if you don't, you have not committed it in a system where 98% of suspects are convicted. Um, and if you have not in a system where you have no chance of being released, if you do not confess the crimes. And we were astonished by that system. That's how we, we discovered and got into Japanese legal system. And at that point, Vincent Fichot, uh, who obviously you know very well and who uh, uh, who at some point um, hadn't seen his kids for something like three or four or five months. It was, I remember, in January 2019, um, he had been abducting his, he, he, he had been abducted his children by his wife in the summer before. He wrote to us um, and he told us, I've seen that you're involved in, uh, in Japan. Here is my situation. Can you do something for me? And um, I remember that I thought, ah, I, I'm familiar. I know these cases. I know that um, when, because it was French, I immediately thought, what can we do in France? Because in Japan, obviously, I can see that the system is completely blocked, even though at that point, I didn't know how the system was functioning in relation to um, the response that it would give to child abduction cases. Um, but I, I, I knew because he, he was explaining briefly in his first emails to us, um, I knew that there was no hope. There was much hope, no much hope in the Japanese system. So I thought, what can we do in France? And I know very well that in these cases, you can file a complaint in France for child abduction before the French prosecution. 
but they don't treat it um, very proactively because they're aware that at some point they're not going to have cooperation from the country, uh, from the other country. So, you know, they, they, they usually do not treat it very, very seriously. Um, and I, and I told, and I thought, ah, uh, or maybe I even told Vincent at the beginning, look, I mean, we could file a complaint in France, but the problem is it's not going to be really effective. It might be a mean of pressure on your wife, but, but that's it. But then he, he kind of started to elaborate on the subject. He told me, but there's, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe of parents in my situation in Japan. And this is, uh, one of the stigma of the Japanese society. This is a this is a major issue of of the society of the current Japanese society. And then he told me, I know a lot of fathers in my situation, and and I remember thinking that uh, there must be something that we have to do to stop that situation. So we considered that's when we started to look at um, at UN uh, procedures, at what what mechanisms could could we put in place. In order to 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 trigger to obtain something, you know, to um, to expose uh, the the attitude of the Japanese state and judges and actors, basically, um, and we elaborated that basically we couldn't go before the Committee of the Rights of the Child, the UN Committee of the Rights of the Child, because Japan had not ratified. Uh, Obviously, it had ratified the, the, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. It had ratified the, the Hague Convention on International Child Abduction. But it had not ratified the instrument or basically the protocol, the additional protocol that allowed an individual to file a complaint before this UN Committee on the Rights of the Child. So we couldn't go before that. And there was no UN, any UN special rapporteur or special expert or special working group to address those issues of child abduction. But there was the procedure, um, the individual complaint procedure before the UN Human Rights Council. And that's at that point that I said to Vincent, look, actually, what we, you know, it took a few, maybe it took a few months to be put in place. And I told him, uh, look, actually, we could file a complaint before the UN uh, Human Rights Council in the name of um, a few parents. And we decided to make it an initiative that will reflect all the cases um, of child abduction in Japan. So uh, we had fathers, but we also had one mother who unfortunately passed away in the meantime. She passed away just after the filing. But we had one mother, we had nine fathers, and it was really important to us that these fathers and mothers would represent the types, the panels of victims. And again, the victims here, were the children. So we filed in names of the children and those children were either fully Japanese or binationals. Um, the, 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 the parents, that the, the left behind parents that, were, that I was representing were either Japanese or uh, French or German or American or Italians. And so we really wanted to show that it was all sorts of Anyone could be the victim of child abduction, no matter your social rank, no matter your gender, uh, no matter uh, whether you're foreign or Japanese, that this phenomenon was actually affecting everyone. And it was really important for us that it would be representative of all the victims. So we decided to put in place, and again, this was filed in the names of actually 10 parents representing their kids who are the real victims because those children they do not have access to both their parents. They are left with access to only one parent. And when they are binational, they, are they have access to only one culture and one nationality and one language where their heritage is dual. And they are basically amputated from half of their identity, from half of their culture, uh, from, you know. So it was really, um, I think it was a very powerful move and uh, anecdotically, uh, uh, I was pregnant at that time of my second child, and somehow I think this uh, this case that um, was really really important for me. Uh, it's it is still it's 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 my uh, it's my battle, you know, uh, this case. Um, 
uh, somehow it's as if like I, I filed this complaint a month before I gave birth. It was almost a birth, you know, it was almost like a uh, a process of giving birth to 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 something. This is uh, this is this is an anecdote. I'm glad that you took the time to mention this complaint filed before the UN. And I just also want to remind our listeners that yes, in fact, many of the cases of parental abduction within Japan and to Japan that are shown in media and most well known are cases of fathers with abducted children. But the reality is that there's a growing number of mothers who are becoming victims of parental abduction. And there are a very large number of Japanese who are married to Japanese and become victims of parental abduction. And if you'd like to see a bit more about their stories, we will link in the description of this podcast, uh, my colleague Vincent Pichot's hunger strike videos, where he speaks with a number of mothers with children abducted to Japan, mothers of all nationalities. So we we, we elaborated that, that complaint and we filed it. Uh, it's now been uh, three, soon three years. Yeah, soon three years. This summer it will be three years. Um, and we exposed um, in this complaint, uh, it's, it's quite substantial. It's, um, um, if I remember well, it's about 60 pages. And we... Um, exposed in this complaint that the problem is that um, the phenomenon of child abduction is highly encouraged by the Japanese state, by the Japanese legal system, and then implemented by its actors. So basically, if you are in Japan, and let's say your wife, because in 90% of cases, it's the woman, is the mother who takes the children away. The mother, one day, just decides to leave the father. Usually she's not going to tell him because she wants to take the children away. Why does she want to take the children away? That's the maybe the most tragic side of the story. Is because she thinks that if she doesn't take the children away, then the father might. It's basically the first parent who takes the children away who can keep them. And it's somehow a run for who is going to take them first. And this is the system who encourages that. Why? Because once the mother has taken the children away, and often she will claim that she has been a victim of domestic violence, because if she gets this, she, she claims that she's a victim of domestic violence, she's going to be helped, supported by um, women's shelters, and she's going to get some uh, uh, financial support for this. So she takes the children away, she's supported by the state. And then the father finds himself without his children. So he goes and file a complaint, try to file a complaint at the police. And the police is going to say, no, I am not going to take your complaint. Sorry, this is not the business of the Japanese state. This is a private matter that only regards your family. This is not a child abduction per se. Of course, Japanese law does know what child abduction is and does sanction child abduction. But they do consider that parental child abduction is not child abduction. So they're going to say, no, sorry. And actually, since your wife took the children away, don't try to find them and don't try to approach them. Because if you do, you are likely to be accused of child abduction. And this is this completely Kafka uh, nightmare situation where the left behind parents not only is left with no remedy, but also actually can be accused himself just because he wants to exert his right as a father was a left behind parent. He may be accused of child abduction himself. And then the situation goes on. The father cannot access his children and is threatened to, to, to be prosecuted if he does. The mother um, can start uh, a divorce procedure and she might want to start it sooner rather than later because if she does obtain the divorce, then the, the other parent, and it would be the left behind parents in Japanese law, uh, would lose all rights on the kids. So when the divorce, once the divorce is pronounced in Japan, the other parent have no parental authority, has no child custody because Japanese law does not know the, sh the, the shared parental custody or the shared parental authority after divorce. And what can happen is that if the mother has abducted the child and when the divorce is pronounced, keeps the child because that's always what the judges are going to decide because they consider that um, this is the principle of continuity. They have to leave the children 
in the situation where they have been for the last few years, because this is the situation where they now feel comfortable and accustomed, and this is their life. So we should not disturb the, the, the environment. So they always apply the principle of continuity, and no, no matter what the circumstances in which those children were found with one of the parents, it doesn't matter that the mother or the father, but let's say the mother abducted the child, it doesn't matter. What matters is that this is the situation that has been put in place and we should not disturb it. So this is always the mother or the parent who has abducted the children who will find himself keeping the children. And once the divorce is pronounced, the father has no more parental authority, has no more right of custody, obviously, even though he didn't have any before, I will go back on that, but he has no right on the child. And actually, if the mother remarries, the new mar the new husband can adopt the children. So it doesn't the, the father is not longer a father, and this is completely insane. This is uh, it's hard to believe when you have not experienced it. Actually, I, I it took me some time to believe it <laughs> because in in you know you do not expect that from a country from Japan. You do not expect that they would sit on the international conventions that they've signed, that they would be deaf to the warnings of the international community. Um, and I will go back on this, but in the meantime, what I wanted to say is that between the time where the father has lost access to his kids and the time where a divorce is pronounced, there is an ongoing procedure before a family judge. And this family judge, is not going to grant the father a real access to his kids. In the best case scenarios, he's going to grant the father two or three hours maximum per month in, um, um, what's the word in English, uh, in, an, in, in, in the venue of an association where um, the, the father, if he's foreign, will not have the right to speak to his kid in Japanese, uh, in, a, in, a, in his own language, sorry. He will only be able to speak to his kid in Japanese law. He cannot feed his kid. He cannot play with his kid. He has no intimacy with his kid. There will always be someone monitoring it. It's basically the most cold. There's no place for any um, affection, intimacy, which is the most fundamental thing between a child and his parent. And there's no space for that. It's actually even more cruel than nothing, right? And then if the mother does not want to bring the child for this supervised uh, visitation, then nothing happens. There is no sanction. So basically it's the mother, when the mother has abducted the child, is the mother who decides whether or not she wants to give the dad once a month uh, a supervised access to the child. There is absolutely no sanction if she doesn't do it. It's entirely left up to the mother. So this system is extremely twisted. And what I wanted to say is that um, where it's uh, extremely revolting is that it's not like the Japanese um, politicians and the, the, the Japanese authorities I've never heard that what they did was not accurate. Again, they have ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. They have ratified the, 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 the hate convention against international child abduction. Uh, the, the, the Convention on the Rights of the Child clearly says that the best interest of the child is to have access to both his parents after a separation. Equal equal or not equal, but a proper, effective access to both his parents after a separation. The best interest of the child is interpreted by the Japanese authorities as we should not disturb the child when he has been taken away by a parent. This is not what the best interest of the child means. And there has been loads of warnings and there has been loads of calls from, uh, uh, from Emmanuel Macron to Giuseppe Conte uh, to Angela Merkel, to 26 ambassadors of the EU who wrote a joint letter in 2018, I think, or 19, I can't remember, February, I think, 2018 or 19, to the Ministry of Justice in Japan, calling for reform of, um, of Japanese uh, law, uh, uh, ex expressing uh, deep concern on the situation of European citizens who had no more access to their children who didn't know uh, uh, 
where they were living, who didn't know in what health they were, who didn't know nothing that was happening in their lives anymore, who just didn't have any more contacts. And then there has been um, um, a resolution issued by the European Parliament in July 2020 in very harsh and very strong terms against the Japanese government, again expressing this deep concern, calling the Japanese government to comply with the convention that it had ratified to explain that all this subject had to be evoked and discussed during the process of ratification of the SPA, the strategic partnership, the, stra the strategic and partnership agreement between the European Union and um, and Japan, which was uh, ratified a, a year or two ago, uh, and and it expressed it expressed very deep concern to Japan in a resolution which is quite long and quite substantiated. And what is the response of the Japanese government? Nothing. Worse than nothing. Two days or three days or a few weeks after this resolution was issued, they gave three press conferences, not one, not two, three press conferences, where they said, we are totally complying with our international convention. There is no problem with our legal system. There is no problem with our legal system. So this is where this is, you know, absolutely unacceptable. It's okay to have a, a cultural differences. It's okay to have a different view initially, but it's not okay to be so stubborn and to see how devastated so many parents are and to see how harming it is for the children. What's happening now in Japan is that there is a rise in the uh, rate of suicide of teenagers in Japan. Uh, there are children, more and more children, who have psychiatrical issues. Um, there are uh, uh, numbers of phenomenon of alienation, child, ch children alienation, because when the mother, or when one parent takes the child, the child away, often is going to alienate the child. And I have examples of uh, parents who sometimes have found their children years after, and the child does does he doesn't connect anymore with the parent because he doesn't speak in his language, because he was told that the parent was a was devil, because he was told that the other parent abond abandoned him on, or her. And so it's this this is harm for, for the rest of their lives. And you know, um one of the, the fathers, one of the Japanese fathers that are represented before the UN, uh, it's a very moving story. Um he his daughter was abducted abducted by his uh, by his wife. And he realized at that point that he had also been abducted by his mother or his father. I can't remember. I think his mother. He realized that actually when he thought that his father had abandoned him when he was a child, when it happened to him 35 years later, he actually realized that actually he had not been abandoned by his father, but he had been abducted by his mother. It took all this time. Uh, it took him to face the same situation until he realized at 35 years old. And um, so, yeah, so sorry, it's it's very long, but it's been uh, it's been our journey uh, with Vincent Fichot, who has been uh, just amazing, uh, amazing of, uh, of dignity, of, of um, commitment, of determination um, to not only to find his children, but also with other parents, of course, he's not alone, but he has been really um, carrying this movement for the, the whole judicial system to change and for um, hoping that in a few years, this will be over. You know, there will not be one children in Japan who will face the sacrifice of one of his parents, right? I, I'm really happy that Vincent was able to reach out to Jessica and to really show you the link between Japan's horrific criminal justice system and the abduction of children. Uh, for any of our listeners who haven't read about Vincent's case and his hunger strike or would like more information about it, we are going to link a number of podcasts that Vincent has done with us and also the page to his hunger strike where he uploaded daily videos of his experience and videos of other children and parents who have been affected by child abduction in Japan. The, 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 the process before the UN is still ongoing. Our case has been examined. We know that it's uh, 
um, it has uh, highly interested the human right, the UN Human Rights Council. Um, and now this is a long process. It's a it's a diplomatic process before the UN Human Rights Council first. So there, this is a process of exchanging uh, um, on between us and the Human Rights Council and Japan, and see how they are making efforts to make their law improve. And the Japanese authorities are now making some announcements. Um, as you may be aware, the, the, the head of the Tokyo police uh, in January said that from now on, uh, it would be possible to file a complaint before the police for parental child abduction, which is a revolution in itself. It's not been implemented yet. Um, so Vincent Fichot recently again tried to file a complaint with the police and they did not accept it because also they don't know, you know, it's they they just they've not just never done it and it's not organized there's an, and there's no clear uh instructions from above so they haven't taken it and it's very regrettable but i think it's already quite something that the japanese head of police would would say okay indeed parental child abduction is a child abduction right this is very new um and this is to be celebrated and um and things are moving you know like um in Vincent Fischer's case, we, we did file this, uh, this this criminal case in France, ultimately. And we had a, 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 a great investigating judge in France who was very shocked by, by, by the attitude of the Japanese authorities in, in Mr. Fischer's case. And she, um, she, she just, you know, made the, the observation uh, that there had been a child abduction by, by the mother. And she issued a, an arrest warrant, an international arrest warrant for Interpol against Mrs., Mr. Fischer's wife. And, you know, the French judges were telling me, you know, uh, it's never, nothing is ever going to happen because the Japanese are not going to cooperate. And, uh, but actually, it's not true because symbolically, first, it's very strong. It's very strong to tell this mother and to tell Japanese mothers in general, the ones who have children with parents from abroad. There is no impunity. Maybe in your country, in, in, when you are in Japan now, if you don't travel, maybe you're safe, but maybe not for long either. Because actually, we are trying to put so much pressure on Japan through uh, uh, embassies, you know, through, through um, uh, the European Union and through other means that at some point, maybe the Japanese are going to feel so embarrassed that they're going to have to do something. That's one thing. And then we are also trying to put pressure, again, through um, the European Union. Um, just sorry, just sorry, I'm just going back. But on, on, um, on Mr. Fischer's case and on the, the international arrest warrant against his wife, uh, the truth is that it did embarrass the Japanese judges because this International arrest warrant was issued at a moment where uh, the Japanese judges were to make a decision on Mr. Fischer's divorce. Basically, they were meant to decide who is going to be um, getting the parental authority. Only one of the two parents again, right? Um, so, and who is going to be getting the child custody? Is it going to be the mother? We apply the principle of continuity. We apply the case law, the, the 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 case law that Japanese have been applying forever, which is that the the all, all these rights are granted to the parents who've been abducted your children in the name of the principle of continuity. Do we do that? But this woman is actually she's a suspect in a criminal case, and she is the subject of an international arrest warrant by the French authorities. This is quite embarrassing for the Japanese judges. And in fact, they have not made a decision yet on Mr. Fischer's case. And Mr. Fischer was telling me that his lawyer, his Japanese lawyer, is quite surprised about this, the, the length of the time that the judges are making to make a decision, are taking to make a decision. So this is having an impact. So basically, I think that what the only thing that 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 um that can make a difference on the long term um, is the pressure, is the international pressure. And the other thing that can make a big difference is the shift, the shift in uh, Japanese society. I, I, I am deeply convinced that a change can only happen if people enhance it, if the society um, believes in it, if they believe that actually there is a problem. 
And I think on this, we've had a success because we've started by exposing from more of an international perspective how um, incorrect, absurd, detrimental, wrong the view of the rights of the child was under Japanese law and in the Japanese society. So at first, it was never talked about within Japan. The Japanese media were never relaying the issue. They were never speaking about it. It was only international media, and it was our international initiatives that were spoken about. But Vincent Fichot and others, but I think him, he should be really celebrated for this. He's been so active in uh, Japan. And I think that his hunger strike uh, last year um, uh, was quite key to this because it gave the cause a lot of visibility in Japan. Um, as you're aware, he, Vincent Fichot did a, a hunger strike during the Olympic Games in, a, in the closest train uh, metro stop or train station by the, the main Olympic Stadium in Tokyo for three weeks. And um, at that point, he was visited day after day after day by entire buses of Japanese people, foreign and Japanese, but a lot of Japanese people coming from all the country, all over the country, coming to give him support and say, but we, I have faced the same situation. There were buses of mothers coming with photos of their children saying, I haven't seen my children for so many years. And, and this was... This was uh, so powerful, so tragic, you know, so tragic to see the extent to which this problem was affecting people from everywhere in Japan and that their voices had until then not been heard. Um, and so I think this was really powerful. And this was a shift because after that, actually at that point and ever since, the Japanese media have been reporting the issue. And this is... This is amazing because I think that it's only the way for the society to change. It's only the way it's, you know, I think international pressure is very important. And I think it was absolutely necessary to bring the subject uh, in the debate in Japan. But, but I, I deeply think that the next step was inside Japan to change the spirit, to, to, to have people open their eyes on what they are accepting. At, you know, in 2021, in the 21st century, that they're accepting to be separated from, from their children without uh, making a revolution out of it, you know? And so the revolution is happening now. So now the media are reporting. The media hugely reported the international arrest warrant of Vincent Fichot. And as you know now, Vincent Fichot is contacted by people, by children, by teenagers, by adults who say, but actually, uh, I've... Thank you for raising your voice because I realized that I've, I've been going through the same thing and now I'm going to reconnect with my dad. And so there is something going on. And so it's, all, it's also pushing a lot the actors, the, 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 the authorities, to take steps to, uh, to announce some initiative, to announce some change of law. It doesn't mean they're going to do it. It doesn't mean they have good faith. It doesn't mean they have the right intention. But it's, it, it doesn't matter in some ways because... Now the movement is on, you know, and um, and I think there's been this uh, this liberation of speech. Uh, it's a kind of a, I, I think of a, it's a kind of a me too uh, for parental ch ch child abduction. You know, it's like so now there's been this liberation of speech. The movement is on and nothing can stop it, I think. So the only thing we need to do is continue maintaining the pressure, the international pressure and the national pressure in order for things to move faster, you know, in order for the Japanese to understand that they have no way to escape this, that they need to go um, into the direction of changing the law, changing the system so that these situations cannot happen anymore. Thank you, Jessica, for really going into great depth about, I think, a lot of the downfalls of the Japanese system. Um, you use a lot of words like, um, wait, let me go back and think of it. You used words like revolting to really describe the Japanese system. And I don't, I don't think you could have said that any better. It is, it is revolting to parents who have lost full access to their children. It is even more revolting to children who have, have really been dealt the largest blow of, that a child could be dealt, which is the loss uh, of a parent. 
Um, I know that um, back in May of 2018, um, the Japanese authorities organized a seminar in Paris. And what they did during the seminar was really teach Japanese parents how to legally abduct their French Japanese children back to Japan and really circumvent the Hague Convention, which is, is just astounding. Um, and I know you highlighted this to the French government, I believe, at the time. Um, what was the response of, of the government, of the French government? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't myself get any response from the French government. Um, at that point, um, I, I raised the issue in a letter to um, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Jean-Yves Le Drian, and I asked, in fact, I was quite careful because initially I was told about the seminar and uh, it was recorded. So there was some, uh, uh, some, you know, some, some, some recording of it and there were some translation of bits of it. But because it was in Japanese, because I hadn't been there myself, because I, I, I could not control everything that was said, I was slightly reluctant to um, uh, to you know, to, to, to bring it to the attention of the government without exactly knowing what had been said because nuances are very important, right? I didn't really know exactly how things had been told, if it had been interpreted. But then when the Senator Kada, the Japanese Senator Kada in Japan, um, uh, in a parliamentarian session, um, spoke to the government, of Japan and said, uh, I heard the recordings of this seminar in Paris that was held in, in, in Paris. And during this seminar, the Japanese authorities are explaining mothers how to take without uh, the uh, consent of the father, a child back to Japan and how not to be in trouble when they are back to Japan um, uh, while filing a complaint in France for domestic violence. When she herself said this in the middle of a parliamentary session, I thought, okay, this is, this is very compelling, right? And this is not my interpretation. It's a Japanese senator interpretation. So at that point, I wrote a letter to Jean-Yves Le Drian, and I said, this is what happened on the French territory. This is not me who says it. This is not my interpretation. This is the interpretation of a Japanese senator, okay? Um, who questioned directly the Japanese government on it. And the Japanese government didn't say this seminar didn't happen. They didn't say uh, we did not organize it. They just said, no, it's not exactly what, we, what was done. It's not true. We're not encouraging this, these, uh, these, these mothers to abduct their children. Okay? This is the typical Japanese bad faith. And I wrote to, the, to, the, to Jean-Yves Le Drian and I said, this is very serious. Not only are these dramatic cases happening in Japan against French national, but actually now they are doing this. They are encouraging this. They are encouraging to the committing of a criminal offense on the French territory. And you need to summon the, French, the, the Japanese uh, ambassador and you need to ask at least for explanation. And this was the soft way because I was tempted to ask him, you need to send him back to Japan, right? Because this is uh, very serious. He's responsible for this personally as an, as an ambassador. And I didn't, unfortunately, get any response from this. Um, I know uh, that um, I think the, 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 the um, Jean-Yves Le Drian, the minister, gave a response to a French uh, parliamentarian, um, either a senator or a deputy, because my letter was sent to some French deputies who are very active on the, um, on the, the child abduction issue in Japan. Um, and so the deputies also, I think, questioned Jean-Yves Le Drian on this. And in my memory, he just responded saying, uh, uh, you know, he kind of, he didn't respond to summoning the, the, the Japanese ambassador, but he said, we are very aware of this issue. Uh, it is totally in our mind. We're doing everything we can to support these fathers. You know, uh, voila, no, that's it. That's, that's all we got. But I didn't personally get a response. And the Japanese uh, ambassador responded to the, the French deputy who wrote to him as well in this regard. And obviously he, 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 he said, no, there's no problem. We totally respect the conventions. Uh, 
you know, there's a, <laughs> there's no problem with our law as always, right? So now um, there were some lawyers who are at the Paris bar, Japanese uh, lawyer. They might have French nationality as well, but they were part of the. They are part. They are members of the Paris bar who were speaking at that conference, and I do not exclude the possibility of of prosecuting them. Uh, because having them prosecuted and having them denounced at the bar, because it's not the only uh, damage they have caused. It's not the only action they have done, speaking at this conference, explaining how to uh, basically abduct, abduct children on the French territory. They are also uh, quite active in French cases that involve this parental child abduction in, uh, in Japan. And uh, they represent often, uh, obviously, the Japanese parents in the French procedure, in the French divorce procedure, for example, where there is at stake a children that has been abducted by the Japanese parent. And they are very dangerous because they actually, um, you know, they quote articles of Japanese law, uh, um, sometimes uh, cutting the, 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 the relevant part and they make it say what it doesn't say. So... I am I am not excluding um, legal actions against those lawyers because you know we have to act on all sorts of fronts. We cannot leave any gap, right? Um, what's at stake is too serious and too important. So we need to show that we are keeping the pressure on all sides. And um, and th th this seminar was one thing, um, but another thing I wanted to to, to speak about briefly is the action we took before the European Parliament. So um, as you are aware, um, Vincent Fichot and, and, and another father, Tomaso Perina, they filed a, a, a petition before the Committee of Petition of the European Parliament, and they were heard in this regard uh, about their, their own um, story of child abduction. And, and after that, there was the European Parliament resolution. And because the Japanese authorities reacted with such bad faith, uh, and ignoring it with, with such determination, publicly ignoring it with such determination during those three press, conf press conferences that I described earlier, we said, okay, actually, this is not enough. Um, they are not understanding uh, what this is about. So we have to go further. And at that point, we thought, okay, how can we obtain that the European Union would stop collaborating with the Japanese authorities. Okay, so there, there was the, the strategic and partnership, the strategic partnership agreement that was being discussed and about to be signed between the EU and Japan. And this partnership was very important because it was uh, creating, uh, uh, creating or, or reinforcing the relationship between the EU and Japan on political, economic grounds, it was, it was a very important uh, agreement. And we, we found that in this agreement, there was a commitment from both parties to respect human rights, to respect international law. This was written in, I think, Article 2 of the agreement. So, and this was so fundamental. Um, it was, you know, so, so core to the implementation of this agreement. This was the, the, the two parties sharing these common values, right? That we said, okay, this is your shared values. Basically, it means that this is your common values. This is the core of your agreement. Um, it means that this is conditional upon executing this agreement. So if one party does not comply with human rights, and here the human rights were obviously the human right, the, the rights of the child, which was which is a primary human rights, the rights of the child. It's, you know, it's on the, uh, there's, no, there's no hierarchy between human rights, but if there was one, the right of the child would be on top, right? Um, and we said, you cannot execute this, uh, this agreement if Japan is sitting on the rights of children, if they are sitting on the international conventions that they have signed. And, um, we said, please, can you, uh, can you make this point very clear to, uh, to Japan? Can you say that you are not going to execute this agreement until they start complying with, uh, uh, with, uh, with, with the international conventions, until they start 
considering that the best interest of the child is to have access to both their parents. This was a very legitimate ground, you know, this was a very legitimate reason. And um, and so we wrote to the, it's it's complicated, but simply put, we wrote to the, 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 the EU um, parliament and we said, you need to ask the commission to suspend this agreement until they have shown good faith, until they have shown that they have a will to change their law. We're not asking that they change everything from one day to another, but at least they need to, to, to make a statement that would be different from our law is fully complying with the international conventions. And we, we um, unfortunately, the EU parliament was, was um, you know, had started very powerfully with this resolution. And we thought they would follow us, but they found um, a bureaucratic way to escape the, 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 the to escape responding, saying, "Oh, this is not our competence. This is competence of such committee." And then such committee told us, "No, this is not our competence. This is the pro- the problem. This is the EU bureaucracy, right?" But I, I think um, um, it's okay because it's we will do it again. Uh, I, I'm actually thinking that we should do it to make that request again. Uh, I think we should not stop. This was done uh, a year and a half ago, but uh, we're not going to stop. But I think what's really important also is to show that we are keeping maintaining the pressure. And you were asking me as well um, uh, what the French could do. Uh, You know, what is really difficult is that if Japan was another country, um, if the international community was not so relying on Japan, if Japan was not so key to international relationship, was not such a big founder of the UN, um, it would be easier for us. But the problem is that because of Japan's uh, position uh, in the diplomatic scene on in the international community, it's our leverage is a little bit more limited. That's the problem that we're facing, and. The economic, the the economic relationship, the diplomatic relationship, is so has so far always gone beyond what it should be. Because here we're speaking about the rights of the the persons who should be the most protected, meaning the children. We're not again speaking about the rights of the parents. This is not the parents who are at stake. Is the children? Is their future? Um, it's their identity. It's uh, it's. It's uh, it's how they're going to build themselves in life. It's it's their confidence. It's the opportunity for them to have the same chances as as children who have a normal access to both their parents. Right? It's a primary right, and this should be a primary consideration. But unfortunately, it is not. And the EU has shown it. The French government has shown it. All the governments have shown it actually. Um, and this is very regrettable. It's the cynical reality of political life, you know, and diplomatic life. So that's why we need to, to be even more proactive than uh, with a country where we would have more leverage on a diplomatic, uh, you know, in a diplom- on, on the diplomatic um, level. Um, and, and that's why uh, we are doing these actions through different ways on you know, we are kind of activating um, all the sides that we can to to reach our goal. And but 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 honestly, I'm quite confident that that things are changing. And again, I think that the the most significant change is the shift in uh, in in Japanese society. In really the the awareness that 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 people are having in Japan that they didn't used to have. And I think this is uh, fundamental. So thank you, Jessica, for talking in detail about some of the actions you've tried to encourage the French uh, government to take and also the EU parliament. Today, what would you say are three actionable items that the French government should be and could be implementing basically in light of Japanese refusal to to cooperate on, on various cases and various instances when it comes to French children abducted to Japan? Yeah. So. Um... Well, first of all, as you're aware, um, the President Macron uh, came to Japan and had very strong words when he he met Vincent Pichot and other fathers 
Um, he, uh, he said, I will not leave these fathers. This is unacceptable that they are deprived from their children. This must be changed. And we know that he had a, a few discussions with the prime minister, Japanese prime minister about it. But the problem is that it stopped there and it's only words, right? Um, and words do not really matter because it doesn't make a difference as we saw. Uh, so what we would have expected is for the French government uh, to, to take stronger measures, basically not only words, but actions. And if you ask me three actions, um, three different types of actions I can think of. The first one is the one I requested in relation to that May 2018 um, seminar in, in France is to summon the uh, Japanese ambassador and ask him, first of all, about the seminar, but also more generally about these cases of, there might be something like a hundred parents, French parents who are deprived from their children in Japan because of the attitude of the Japanese authorities. So this is one uh, strong move that, 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 um, that the French government could have made. Um, the second one, and this is what we asked as well to the French, is that they could have not ratified or postponed the ratification of the SPA, the Strategic Partnership Agreement, with Japan, between EU and Japan, because actually it's the EU, but it's each country of the EU who ratifies uh, the treaty, uh, the agreement. And they could have say said, okay, you know, and, and, and convinced a few other countries to do the same. Uh, okay, we're actually going to postpone this ratification. We're not saying we will not ratify it at all, uh, but we, we want to postpone it because we want strong commitments from the Japanese um, to, uh, to, to adapt their law uh, to, to, uh, to the conventions on the rights of the child. Um, or, or we want them to take strong measures and until they take strong measures to ensure that both parents can have access to their children in case of separation, we will not ratify that treaty. So that's the second thing that we we were expecting for, from the French to do and that they didn't do. And a third measure that they could have taken, a third action they could have taken, for example, is they could have um, they could have decided, for example, as a symbolic measure, to um, cut the, the visa uh, of, um, for example, of, uh, of Japanese students coming to study in France. Or uh, it's, it's not that... I think it's fair to penalize the, the, the students. It's not that, and maybe that's not the perfect measure, but I'm just saying something, a kind of a, you know, some sort of a boycott, some, uh, some measure that would sanction um, uh, or, or something relation to ad adop adoption or, you know, like a, a measure, a strong measure that would impact uh, the Japanese citizens, unfortunately, but that could make a difference also concretely, and that could push the Japanese to, to move. Not a measure on a long-term base, but something on a short-term base to say, okay, for this year, until you take some strong measures, we will not do this. We will not grant the visa. We will not, uh, uh, we will stop the adoption from Japan, you know, something like this. And this has been done by other government, not, not in relation to this matter, but when they want to exert a pressure, when they want to, when the situation is blocked, it's one way to proceed. And France has done none of it. They've just committed engaged in a in a diplomatic talks and uh, and discussions about oh perhaps you should do this you should do that but this is this is what is it it's nothing you know it once the conversation it's over the matter is over and we go back to normal so th this is where we really think that the french authorities could have done done more I completely, I completely agree. So I know, Jessica, you've worked with a number of, of parents with children abducted to Japan, especially when you um, prepared the complaint for the United Nations. Um, what would be your advice to parents who have their children abducted to Japan or even to other, let's say, non-Hague uh, countries or non-Hague compliant countries, which is what we see usually with Japan? What would your be? What would be your advice to those parents? So in relation to Japan, um, obviously the situation is very different if they're abducted to Japan or if they've been abducted in Japan. Because if they're abducted to Japan, um, even though Japan is not complying with the Hague Convention, uh, Hague Convention procedure should still be put in place. And in fact, um, I had a colleague recently who told me that um, she started a French colleague who she started a hate convention in France for a child who had been abducted to Japan, 
And in fact, she told me that for the first time, France, recog uh, Japan recognized the decision of repatriation that, Jap that France issued. So they might, who knows, you know, things might be really starting to change. So uh, immediately there should be a Hague Convention uh, procedure started when there is a, an abduction to Japan. Um, if there is an abduction in Japan, it's, a, it's another story. Um, it's much more complicated, obviously. What I would advise, obviously, is uh, is uh, is not to is is to uh, slow down as much as possible the divorce procedure in Japan because again, once the divorce is pronounced, it's over. It's over legally. The you know there's not even a, a matter of uh, implementation and implementation. No, legally there is no more uh, parental authority for 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 the left behind parent, and there is no more. Uh, chance of custody of the children for the left behind parents. So it's to slow down as much as possible the divorce there and, and maybe try to divorce in another country first. Um, so that's the advice I would give. And then even though um, it's proved uh, not very efficient, unfortunately, but it obviously is to, is to get in, in touch with when you're a foreign parent, uh, is to get in touch with uh, the embassy and the, the consular authorities of your country, which um, are often powerless, uh, but still they 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 ha they have to try. That's their duty. They have to try to get in touch with the with the with the with the with the mother with the parent with the parents who were abducted, and uh, depending on the, on the mother uh, and on the person who you face, uh, it might pr pr create some results or no results at all. But at least that's something that needs to be tried. That's the problem with Japan is that everything. It's just up to the the will of the of the parents who has taken the children away. That's the state of the Japanese uh, law at the moment. Now, for um, for children abducted to other countries, um, if it's a non Hague Convention uh, country, um, unfortunately, there's not much to do. Uh, depending on the country, try a procedure in that country, not a Hague procedure, but, but you know, file a complaint for child abduction. Um, because not all countries are behaving like Japan, and um, and and then work with the consular slash uh, embassy authorities uh, and try to try to get something out of it. Uh, you can also file if you if if the person is French, uh, that person can also file a complaint in France. But again, it's it's not often gonna gonna be efficient, but it might be. So you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of. Uh, of solutions at stake, unfortunately. But if it's in Japan, surely, surely one advice is don't divorce in Japan. And if your wife is starting a divorce procedure, you know, try divorce procedures abroad if you're foreign first, because that procedure might prevail on the Japanese one. And if the Japanese one is on, slow it as much as possible. Because in the meantime, you can wiggle something where after legally, you don't have any rights on your child anymore. Yeah, this is very, very great advice. Um, and I would like to just mention here for anybody that has their children abducted to a non-Hague uh, country, you might take a listen to our, our podcast with Mohammed Ayoub, who is a, a family attorney in Lebanon, which is a non-Hague country. And he is a founder of IHOPE. He has been successful in getting a number of children that were abducted to Lebanon returned to the U.S. and Canada, I believe, through using local religious courts. So we'll put the link to that podcast in the description. Um, so for any parents that might be interested in how uh, lawyers go about getting children returned when the country is not a signatory of The Hague, might be interested in listening to that podcast. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess it depends on it depends on every country. Uh, obviously, you need to have a good local lawyer. I think that's probably where, sh where I should have started. Uh, you need to have a good local lawyer who will exp explore all the possibilities in your country. And probably the the the, the lawyer that you interviewed is, is obviously one of them. So, yeah, and this would depend on every country for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. So um, the final question I just want to wrap up with Jessica is if any of parents that are listening or, or listeners, it could be other professionals, and they like to get in touch with you to learn more about your legal services and your work, how can they do so? Um, they, they can write me an email. 
um, on my on my email address, uh, jf at zimrefinel.com. Uh, the, the, I don't know if you can put this address uh, down on the post. We will. We will yeah. link it in the description. Yes, absolutely. We'll link through your website as well as your email address in the description of this podcast. Okay, perfect. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today, Jessica. You've given some great insight into the failings of the Japanese system and also the Europeans' response to those failings. I would remind everybody that's listening today that the goal of this podcast is to share knowledge with you and to let you know that you're not alone. With that said, if you need any specific legal advice, we do recommend reaching out to a qualified legal practitioner for that advice. If you're a minor or perhaps don't understand certain parts of this episode, please do reach out to a responsible adult or someone who can explain the episode to you. We've done our best to make sure that this episode doesn't offend anybody. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, you are more than welcome to reach out to me anytime at danielle.daura at findmyparent.org. If you have been separated from your parent, or perhaps someone you know has been separated from their parent, please go to our website, findmyparent.org, where you can start the search today for your missing parent. With the help of our artificial intelligence technology, you can be matched and reunited with your parent or child. If you're part of an NGO, private company, or any other type of organization that is passionate about this topic, please get in touch with us on our website as well. We would love to work together to create a greater impact. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week. We hope to speak to you next week. Until then, take care. to see.